All right, so... Something with we, a little sound deadener would be great. Are we better now? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. We're in the boudoir. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. Today is the long day, the 30-minute uh, day, or kind of. I mean, we'll get close. To, I don't know. I don't know how long we'll go. We might go, yeah, we're not going to go longer than 30 minutes, that's for sure. All is well here. The October conference is uh, sold out. I don't know how that happened, so I guess we're going to schedule another one. And we've got this idea for a master class. I don't know if I've talked to you about the master class idea, but it's sort of an advanced um, safety differently where basically we sit in a circle and just chat with each other and invite a guest in, some high-powered, you know, guest in, and just kind of talk about next steps, next motions, maybe bring advanced problems to the table. I don't know. We'll kick it around. If that sounds interesting to you, tell me. I'd be glad to make that happen. But other than that, everything is grand here. It's, uh, you know, but it's hot. And I'm trying not to fixate on how hot it is, but my house, you know, I live in a 150-year-old adobe house in Santa Fe near the plaza. Um which sounds braggy, but uh, that means I have no electricity, really crappy plumbing, and my walls are made of mud. And so what happens is, I think there's a name for this, but as, as hot as it is at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, that heat is just beating down on those big, thick mud walls I have. And what happens is 24 hours later at 4 o'clock in the morning, that same heat is now radiating into the house. So it makes for kind of a hot night. I mean, you got to really, you know, be ready for it because it's, it's the weirdest thing. It gets hotter. But I'm trying not to complain because I just spent a whole bunch of time in Alabama. And I'm shocked always because when it gets nighttime, it doesn't really get cooler. And in New Mexico, it gets cooler. I mean, that's, uh, that's an, and we have no bugs. I'm not bragging. This is not bragging time. I'm not bragging. Every place has its own huge advantage to be an advantage. So that's what it's about. Um, but everything is pretty grand. It's busy, but I'm sure we're all kind of busy. I suppose that's better than being not busy. So no complaints on that either. So today's podcast, we're going to revisit an, an old friend of the pod, um, Dave Fink. Dave Fink talked to us almost two years ago, and he was right at the beginning stages of a huge project where they were going to look at 25 distinct facilities, and uh, if I remember correctly, and I, I don't know if this is right, but upgrade the fire suppression stuff or put in fire suppression, something, something with fire suppression. So it was a really big, super expensive, really big project, and it was high risk because uh, the facility itself was high risk. There were lots of security requirements because of facilities, double knot spy, super secret facility, and they had a lot of crews coming in and working. And they... um. They, through the tutelage of, of Dave and his management team, um, decided they would use um, the new view. They would, they would try safety differently. And we interviewed them early on in the journey, and they were having pretty good luck. Well, now the journey's over, or nearly over. And so I wanted to touch back in with Dave and see how it went. And it went swimmingly. And he's going to talk about how it went so well. It went so well that they were, they were featured as um as the uh, the best one of the best projects within the entire federal complex um which is quite an honor actually and it didn't just impact their safety 
but it impacted their ability to be efficient and effective and productive and resilient and all the things we talk about. And so I thought, well, this would be an interesting chance to sort of do two things. One is come up to speed on how it went because he left us hanging the last time we did this podcast. And two is ask him what they learned because I'm really curious under the guise of studying success what components needed to be present for a major project with lots of complications? Holy cow, this one was complex. Uh, what it took for it to be successful and what the leadership team was thinking and what was going on and how they got to where they got to. And so that's today's podcast. It's just a little conversation, but I think you'll find this conversation pretty interesting for sure. So without much further ado, we could talk a little bit on the back end. This is um, this is Dave Fink, and he's going to talk to you about projects and uh, and safety and this idea of project management differently. So without any further ado, here's Dave and I having a little chat. So the last time we talked, what did we talk about? Well, we talked about um, how uh, Patrick Morris and I, we did the interview together actually in June of uh, 16, I believe. Wow, we're um, old. <laughs> we had talked about how we were shifting to implementation uh, or a better implementation of the, the new view and uh, say differently in how we're approaching things with a learning culture and shifting out of the blame, shame, rewrite, retrain model. So, but and, at the time we, at the time we talked, right, you guys were in the process, you were sort of on the front end, you were deep in project work and you were kind of on the front end of shifting from old safety to new safety. Is that fair? Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, we had just completed our first three buildings under uh, out of the 26, 25 on, on my watch. And so we just had kind of gotten our feet wet. We had done a major campaign, and we'd had only really one incident, and it was a relatively small incident. But and, that's, we, the, and that's the one where you backed the truck in the, into the ditch thing, right? But yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, and, so that's that's kind of – I mean, that's – you know that's a that's an event. It could have been bad. It could have been good. It's 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 a good way to look at failure because it's relatively low consequence. It was a total low consequence learning event. It was, and and that's how, as a project manager in, in my staff, the, the leadership of the project chose to look at it. I mean, we still conformed with the the requirements the the site had, but we looked at it in a different way, and we also went back. 72 hours on the timeline, you know, kind of looked at uh, the way things go in a fact finding. Um, we hadn't been able to move, shift all the way over to a learning team yet. Well, it's, it's uh, still pretty early. How'd you get them to, how'd you get them to not respond with the classic fire drill, uh, whose head's on a pallet and, and how, is, how can you assure me this guy will never drive a truck on the site again? Right. Well, um, fortunately enough, with uh, Patrick's support, we we looked at it and we we kept looking at it as uh, human error. You know, and going on the basic tenant, you know, people are good and they want to come and do good work safely, right. and and that's always been a really big tenant. And Patrick took that value. I think that's also mentioned in the, our previous interview. So when we that actually happened, you know, we went through the fact finding and all that. But it, it was really, you know, when you start pulling the Jenga blocks in the context around the event, um, it was very understandable how it happened. And, you know, we hadn't, the system had not provided the workers with enough 
um, bandwidth. We hadn't done what we could to expand the, the black line, if you will, for um, a, a, a very small um, deviation. So here's the million dollar question. What'd you fix? Well, interesting you ask. So from that, the leadership team, especially some of our primary members, the kind of the big four engineering, um, procurement, and construction have really engaged in how do we, we've really looked at, at the question of how do we expand the black line? And as a, as a leadership team, we're very horizontal. So we can, the decision makers, we, we discuss and we solve problems real time. And so we've, we kind of have worked to, and I'm kind of working on a, an article. No, I'm not kind of working on an article. I am working on an article that talks about how expanding the black line through horizontal integration. So we pushed the ownership out instead of being very vertical management, next level supervisor, to, to, to straight down to the worker, going worker, superintendent, and then horizontal. So if there's any questions, especially in the work planning document, um, which establishes the black line, we drive that ownership horizontally. So in case of there's a valve that needs to be restored, we just don't say, hey, Fitter, go out and restore that valve. Now we go to the system owner, which is the system engineer, and we say, Mr. Engineer, what is the expectation of that valve? And he says, Counterclockwise, 30 and a half turns. Perfect. If it's anything less, a craftsman response, and then we start our feedback loop, right? So if there's a deviation in, in the expected performance, it's small, right? We're, we're anticipating that we're going the right way. We're, we have the anticipated amount of turns in that valve. And if we don't make that, we can feed that back through and see what our um, actions require to recover R. It's not a catastrophic failure. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So that's where we were two years ago. Mm -hmm. How are, where are you now? How did it end? What's the story now? Well, the story now is the leadership has progressed and, and, and we as a team are totally um, looking at opportunities where we can constantly expand the black line and provide a, a larger margin for error. With, so is this, di- is this project finished? Mi- we have one last high risk, high consequence building left. Wow. And yeah. So how many have you done total good. then? We've done 25. Holy this will cow. be our 26th. So did you just get smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter each building? Well, I'd like to say that I did, but actually... I've got a team of rock stars and these guys right down to the sprinkler fitters and the carpenters and um, the laborers are awesome because early in the game, um, we incentivize them to bring ideas and establish trust and started using them in learning teams. And Bob Edwards came out and facilitated some of our early learning teams. So they, we realize that, that they truly are, and we honor the fact that they are the performers. They are the tip of the spear. And they've given back many great ideas on how we can improve the system, improve our quality, and improve our effectiveness. And from effectiveness, you get efficiency, right? So it's kind of this big thing that, that starts at the deck plates and has just gone all the way up. And at the leadership, the project leadership 
level. Um, I've got some really highly engaged um, control account managers, which are basically disciplined um, project managers, like engineering is responsible for engineering, construction is responsible for construction, et cetera. These guys are totally engaged with how can we um, understand the blue line and leverage that performance and the expectation that everybody's good and they want to do good work. So, so when, it's, it's really when, awesome. So, when, so, the, so the basic tenets of, of the new view of safety differently are the worker's not the problem, the worker's the solution, the problem solver. So mm -hmm. we don't constrain the worker, we ask the worker what they need, and we define safety or reliability or resilience as the presence of capacity, the presence of margin, the, the, all the things you said. It sounds to me, David, like you guys um, accidentally, well, no, that's not the right message. It sounds to me like you guys moved absolutely into the new view, but you did it progressively over 25 buildings with leadership that kept learning and growing and it was pretty successful is that fair that's totally fair and i gotta tell you it's it's not comfortable sometimes um one of our learning teams that we had bob facilitate and especially for me it was not comfortable was are we good or are we lucky it wasn't event driven but it was asking that real question amongst the leadership team of uh, minus me of course because <laughs> that's not how it plays um, are, are we good or are we lucky and, and why are we good? And it, it kind of fascinated me, some of the response and some of it, you know, as a leader, yeah, you got to work here or there and how do you fix it um, and, and shift things around? And it's done nothing but make us better. So um, I, I'm dealing with the, the what's, what's the Tony Mashark uh, chronic Unease. Chronic sense of unease. There you go. And and I find that that's a real growing space. It's a space for opportunity to grow and uh, self-examination of the project as well as your, the style. Um, a couple of things we found just in our communication amongst, we did a little learning team itself, uh, um, a facilitated learning team. Um, I've sent one of our cams to, uh, to to training and have made him a facilitator, is there's a really interesting compounding effect, especially with people that are proud of their work and want to do really great work and, and be the best, right? And so I can say, okay, our target is to get it done by next Thursday. And then the superintendent says, all right, guys, next Thursday. And the guy at the deck plate says, man, I got to do it Thursday. I, 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 we got to make this happen because everybody's driven to do the best. And so we had to rein this back in and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is to do our best in the smartest possible way. And it's a target, right? We want to have these, these very... It's a project, so we have deadlines, we have requirements, but it's not at all cost. And I don't want to give the impression that our people were down at the deck plates cutting corners because they're absolutely not those guys. But what it, it's interesting because each time the, the, said, you know, the target, we went from being a target to, oh my God, we've got to do everything, work overtime to make this happen. And that wasn't the situation at all. So as part of our journey, learning these little 
intricacies of communication and compounding were really fascinating to learn about. It sounds, that, it sounds like where once we managed a project based upon scope, schedule, and budget, it sounds to me like we now manage a project based upon scope, schedule, budget, and capacity and confidence and, and ability, right? Is that fair? That's totally where we, where we wanted to shift to is our capacity instead of driving some unrealistic thing and failing. And our, our funding organization is very uh, realistic. You know, they say the client will always remember that a failure. <laughs> so do it right and do it well. So I've been really blessed that management above me has uh, really resonated with that, that message. So, and, I, and I've carried it forth all the way down to the deck plate. So everybody has confidence when they say, here's what we can do and here's where we can make a difference. Um, and, and in some cases, it's giving back a very large amount of schedule because of technology or innovation that they're introducing. So it's, it's, it's really an interesting shift. So how'd you do it? <laughs> well, I, would, I didn't. I, I, I have to admit it was... Um, I, I was inspired, okay. Um, one of the things that I've always been a, a human performance um, evangelist and practitioner, but when you're leading a team like this, it's, it's key to get the buy-in of the other leadership, right, above you as well as in, in the support uh, control account level. And I've been really fortunate that one of our required reads is, well, we give them pre-accident investigation. I Best give him book Tony, ever. Best book ever. <laughs> I give him Tony Mashar's risk-based thinking. And I've had both Tony and Bob out. Um, and they're like going, hey, this makes sense. To the point where one of our, our, our division leaders was tasked with going in, um, trying to figure out how we're going to do a follow-up to a, a incident in a different area. And Bob looked at him, just happened to be in Bob's intro class of fundamentals of, of Hawk. And the guy said, and Bob says, well, why don't you look at it from the struggles of the worker? And it was a total aha moment for two division managers. And they said, you know, that makes sense. This is the right way to do it. And so it totally shifted some people. And it's, it's the shift across the company as well as um, – across the project. So it's been really nice within the core that I can control that we have a shared vision and understanding of who gets the work done and how do we facilitate it to the highest quality and the safest way um, in, in, in getting it done. But the, the real trick, I think, has been totally honoring the blue line, right? And, and, and no longer is it just a razor-thin black line. Here's what you're work planning document says. It's how you put in those defenses and look for those deviations in from a horizontal of um, a horizontal ownership and integration from work planning to engineering to construction to procurement to turnover and operations, integrating them horizontally, how we're getting that width in the black line. It's 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 fascinating, but you gotta honor the blue line. That's people are people are good People want to do good work. Has it changed? Because you're not a safety guy. You're a projects guy. Has it changed the way your safety guys interface with the project and with the project people? Um, 
That's a good question. Our, our safety guys are, are, it's also collegial. It's, it's interesting because we all are horizontally pairs, for lack of a better term. And there's no fear of where's the safety guy or the safety guy's coming. It's, it's not a fear at all. We're just colleagues. And it's, it's really kind of interesting. That's why it's been a very flat organization. And we can communicate and solve problems horizontally in a very time-effective and efficient manner. So if you had some tips, some hints to give to other project managers around the world, what would those tips be? What did you guys learn? Well, that's really interesting. We did a, a practitioner's viewpoint of implementation last November here in Las Vegas with the DOE complex perform. Um, um, human performance guys. And one of the things that I did is I just featured the, the, the workers. I set up the, I framed up the situation and then I let the superintendent and the, the carpenter foreman and the, the labor foreman talk about their response and how they felt and how they wanted to approach it and how the shift worked for them. What'd they say? It, What'd they say? A, What'd they say? Well, they, they said, we, we, we gave our input. Here was our honest input. This is how it, it, it works. You know, you guys had planned it this way. It's the classic razor thin black line wasn't going to work. And so knowing that there's innovations out there and potential squeeze points, the trust had built that they could communicate freely. And I think that's a great thing about um, the new view, if you will, is it's, it really, really builds that trust. And the great thing about the learning team approach is, it, approach is it acknowledges the expertise of the craftsman. Um, and, and it, you know, that's, that's the guys that perform the work. It, listen to them and how can we resolve the issues and keep everything moving forward with new technology and engineering to back that up and, and make their life better, faster, and also, right, mitigate the deviations that they have to go through. So expand that black line, give them protections, so, um, and, and help get them involved in the, the, the mitigation strategies of what works. So that's the pod with the, the sweet Dave Fink. Thanks, Dave. It was a great conversation. It, you know, took us a while to get it set up, but we got it set up, and it, it worked well. The mitigation strategies of what worked. I think this whole notion that we're pushing sort of reliability from the old view, which was trying to prevent bad things from happening, to the new view, which is to try to ensure that good things happen, you, you really see how that works when you apply it to an actual project um, and you look at it through a project lens like that, where you got lots of interface, lots of little components, everybody working together, trying to create this outcome. And, um, and you just struggle as hard as you can uh, with really good people. It's, it's not that it's not that people are stupid. It's that sometimes work is hard and, uh, and requires lots of trade-offs and challenges. And that's something we ought to be thinking about every chance we get to think about it. Special thanks, my friend, to uh, Dave Fink and this podcast. I think you learned a lot. I don't know if you know you did, but I think this was actually a pretty darn good way to pick back up and see how it went with Dave and the gang. 
And we did. So that's good. It's kind of nice to have a beginning and an end. That works really well. That is the podcast for today. I will see you soon. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Get people to listen. There's lots to learn. If you're a project management person, this is a pretty good podcast, I'd say. Uh, Until then, though, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, you all, be safe.